Father, we just thank you again for this time we have together. Lord, I just thank you for your presence. You're so good. We just thank you for this time we have together every week to just worship you, to fellowship, to be in your presence. We just ask that this time together would be a, a pleasing, fragrant offering to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow, good times. This weather is interesting, isn't it? We have rain, but rain is always good. It's always, did you know after the flood, every time rain is mentioned in the Bible, it's always a blessing. Always a blessing. So we thank God for the rain. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's a beautiful fall. The, the, how many are enjoying the leaves? Yeah, I love it out here. My goodness. Went for a drive to Quebec City. Uh, last week with my parents who were visiting from Manitoba, and that's awesome. Uh, and we just so loved and enjoyed the uh, beautiful colors out there. My goodness, if you've never been to Quebec City at this time of year, you got to go. It's a must. But anyway, um, ta I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are new here, we're in the middle of a series, but it's really kind of a general theme for this entire year, the presence-driven life. And really what I'm doing is, you'll notice that I'm, I have kind of series within this broader series. And so the first part of this uh, theme, the, the Spirit series, we looked at the, uh, what's called the eschatological perspective, essentially the framework of the entire New Testament um, and, and the significance of the Spirit in that. Then we moved on to salvation. Okay, so the Spirit's role in salvation in Christ. And now we're in life in the Spirit, which is essentially... Everything after you're saved, we're called to live our lives in the Holy Spirit. Everything, everything to do with our Christian walk, whether it's ethics, whether it's uh, just relational community, uh, the way that the, the, the New Testament defines the people of God is this people of the Spirit. We talked about that before. Well, what I want to do today, since we're moving on, if you weren't here last week, Trisha and I talked about our testimony of, of life in the Spirit, essentially how we got here to Catch the Fire Ottawa, uh, the last 10 years, how the, the Holy Spirit led us together in marriage and everything, and if so, if you're interested, check it out. Um, but today what I wanted to do is continue in the, this, this new part of the series, Life in the Spirit, starting off by talking about Jesus Christ as our example of Somebody who completely lived his life in the Spirit. And he's our example, right? Like, he, we're called to follow Jesus. And Jesus is perfect theology. So if he did something, we know we should be doing that thing, right? Um, and so he, I, what I want to do to sort of build a foundation before we move on to other things, showing that this is how Jesus lived, Okay. And some of you will recognize some of this material from other series and messages and stuff. I'm kind of bringing things together just to make it kosher. Meaning Jesus Christ, right, he's our Lord and Savior, and we should live like Jesus lived. And sometimes we don't think about how dependent he was on the Holy Spirit. And if he was so dependent on the Holy Spirit, we should be dependent on the Holy Spirit, right? And so the statement here, uh, from his conception to his resurrection... Everything about Jesus Christ's life and ministry was a result of the Spirit's work. Everything. I'm going to let that linger for a second. Everything. I want you to think about this. Okay, I'm going to just give some statements. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? I have, I have references up there. Matthew 1.18, Luke 1.35. If you look at the Christmas story, come on, we know this. It says that when the angel Gabriel visited Mary and, and all that, he says, the power of the Holy Spirit will come on you and you'll conceive by the Spirit. 
So he'll, the child will be called the son of God. So in other words, the Holy Spirit is Jesus' dad. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever thought of it that way? But come on, we know now that the Spirit is God. Like he's, he's God's Spirit, so they're one and the same. But that's how important it is, right? He was conceived by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was empowered to do ministry by the Spirit. He spoke the Word of God by the Spirit, and he was raised from the dead by the Spirit. Um, and the reason I kind of just skimmed over those is because we're going to go in more detail on those ones today to show you how important the Holy Spirit was in Jesus' life and, and how Jesus calls us to live the same, okay? So I want you to think about something. The one thing that made Jesus the Messiah was that he was anointed, right? If you don't know this, the word Messiah and Christ in Greek, so talking about Hebrew and Greek, both mean the anointed one, okay? That's not his last name, Jesus Christ, Christ means the anointed one, the Messiah. Do you guys know what that means? What was he anointed with? The Spirit. Think about that. What made Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was that he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So everybody in the Old Testament, the Messiah, they were looking for this ultimate man of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And I want to show you that, some messianic prophecies, because this is, this is why the Holy Spirit was such a significant part of Jesus' life, and you'll see this all the way from his baptism to the end of his life. So what I want to do is just go through a few of these, okay? Most of them are from Isaiah, interestingly enough. But Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, this is a messianic prophecy. And look at how the one thing that they were looking for in the Messiah. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, which was David's dad, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Right? That, that's what makes him the Messiah. And then this is the sevenfold Spirit of God. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he'll delight in the fear of the Lord. So you see that the Spirit of the Lord resting upon the Messiah is going to be a characteristic. Isaiah 42.1. Another Messianic prophecy. This begins the, the servant uh, uh, so, uh, anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm, it's escaping the, the words. But for the next four chapters, it's about the servant, suffering servant. That's what I'm looking for in Isaiah. All messianic prophecies about Jesus. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. And I want you to remember that phrase, because when Jesus' baptism, God, God alludes to this scripture. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased, in whom I delight. I will put what? My spirit on him. And he will bring justice to the nations. Isaiah 61, 1 to 3. The spirit of, this is a, again, a messianic prophecy. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. Remember that he's anointed with the spirit to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedoms of the captives, release from darkness the prisoners. And you'll see later, Jesus quotes that as evidence that he is the Messiah. I just want to show you this. This is the beginning of the book of John. Okay, so John, this, uh, talking about John the Baptist, I just want you to notice what, what he was looking for. What was the thing that made him know this was the Messiah? Okay, so starting in verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 32, Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one. They were cousins. 
Okay? You guys remember that from the, the Christmas story, right? Could, anyway, Elizabeth was Mary's. Okay. Anyway. So then, she's like, wow, this is my cousin. Okay. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That was the defining character of Jesus, right? Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God, right? He's fulfilling all these messianic prophecies, some of them I just showed you. And that was the one defining characteristic. Oh, he's the chosen one because the Holy Spirit descended upon him. I love this verse. If you guys don't know who John G. Lake was, I didn't mention this today, but we have some new books, and God's Generals is one of them. And the first one, the blue one, talks about all these people from the Pentecostal movement, like John G. Lake. This is what changed his theology in his life, this verse. Because he had so much sickness and death in his family, and he couldn't fathom what was going on. He was Methodist at the time. And out of frustration, I think it was his wife was dying, maybe it was his sister, he threw a Bible against the fire mantle, and it opened up to this, and his eyes went to this very verse. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Look at this. God, what? Anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went around doing good and what? Healing all, not some, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Why did this change John G. Lake's life? Because the common theology at the time, and with still kind of common in some uh, streams, is that it's God's will if you're sick. He's teaching you a lesson. That's what they all told John G. Lake. Where, so if you're, the, the, the problem is if you're praying for someone who's sick and it's God's will, you're praying against God's will. So then you're always in this constant, is this God's will? And all these ministers came and said, you're, this is God's will that I think is your sister's dying. And he saw his, he's like, wait a minute. Look at what it says. All healing all who what were under the power of the devil it's not under the right it's not god's will that people are sick jesus part of his ministry is to heal everyone because they are under the power meaning that sickness is of the devil you don't put up with sickness that's what what did jesus do jesus went around healing everyone of all sickness casting out demons preaching the kingdom that was his ministry why because healing is, there, is evidence that the kingdom's here, and that means sin, sickness, and disease is, is of the enemy. That was for free. <laughs> My point was that, look, G, the defining characteristic, this is Peter preaching to the Gentiles, the first time the Holy Spirit came to the Gentiles in Acts 10, and this is how he's summarizing the gospel. Jesus Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. This is what defined his ministry. Okay, so being anointed with the Holy Spirit is what made Jesus the Messiah, is my point. Okay, so... Not only was the Holy Spirit the defining characteristic of Jesus' life and ministry, he was also the defining characteristic of true, think of the name, Christians. We just learned what Christ means, right? I remember John, uh, Chris Velton, where at Bethel, used to say it means little anointed ones. Because that's what it means. Anointed with what? The Holy Spirit. If you guys have been here by now, hopefully you know that the Holy Spirit is the one defining characteristic of whether you're saved or not, whether you have the Holy Spirit. And I gave you a bunch of messages on that. If you're interested, you can go back. Okay? But, but I'll just give you two. Just see, it's for those of you who don't know. Think about this. Romans 8 9. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, look at this. They do not belong to Christ. Whoa. Big deal, isn't it? 
That's the defining characteristic of whether you're a Christian or not. 1 John 4, 17. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. Okay? So if really important. So remember, that's what makes us Christians, little anointed ones, anointed with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus. That's why, and I'm getting ahead of myself in Acts chapter 2, what, what, the, what happened? What was the birth of the church? When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. So, Jesus was the ultimate man of the Spirit, fulfilling all these messianic prophecies, and he's our example of what it looks like to live a life in the Spirit. And we're called to do this, and I'm going to show you this today. So as Christians, we're called to follow his example of a spirit-empowered life, okay? And, then, and, and so, again, I just want to go over some of these major things, just some scriptures on them, just showing you, okay, if Jesus lived like this, we need to live like this, because he's our example. So, remember, God's perfect will is manifest in Jesus Christ, so, Jesus is our example of life in the Spirit. First, what I want to show you is his identity through the Spirit. Okay? So, this is kind of interesting. Going back to his baptism, we're, you're going to see we're using a lot of scriptures from the first, I guess, few chapters of Luke to show you some of these things. But Luke's version of, of the baptism, look at this, Luke 3, 21 to 22, when all the people were being baptized in the River Jordan, Jesus was baptized too. And he was, as he was praying, heaven was open and what? The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son. Remember, we're talking about identity. Whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Remember Isaiah 42.1. He's alluding to that with I'm well pleased. You are my son. Psalm chapter 2. That was a messianic psalm. Whom I love, he was referring to Genesis 22 when it, when it was uh, uh, Abraham sacrificing Isaac. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. And, and when he tells him to do this, he says, this, your only son whom you love, I want you to sacrifice. So God, and if you're interested in this, I gave a whole message on this, <laughs> Jesus Calling. Uh, it's like the third message in the Kingdom of God series, like last year around this time, But if you're interested. But anyway, the point is, Jesus' identity through the Spirit, right? The Spirit comes, and what, what happens? God says, you're my son whom I love, and you am well pleased. The point is, notice that God's affirmation of Jesus as his son and his expression of love to Jesus happened after he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. This happened at the same time. Heaven opened, the voice came. And this is the same for us. This is why I'm showing you this. God adopts us as his sons or as his children and expresses his love for us through his spirit. Romans 8. This is an amazing chapter. I recommend you just meditate on this chapter. If, uh, it's one of my favorites. I'm just going to show you from verses 14 to 17. Remember, we're talking about getting our identity from the spirit. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Isn't that interesting? Those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. So, being led by the Spirit is important, isn't it? The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive, look at this, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. So remember, right, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. So in other words, the Spirit that witnesses with our spirit that we are his children. We're getting his identity from the fact that we have the Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are his children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Think about that. Co-heirs with Christ. Isn't that amazing? So just as Jesus was God's son, it's saying here we're actually co-heirs with Christ. We have the same inheritance as Jesus Christ. He's our brother. Isn't that amazing? But how we know we're his children, how we know we're adopted is because we have the Holy Spirit. And through the Spirit in our hearts, we cry out, Abba, Father. We get our identity through the Spirit. Same, th same thing said in a different way in Galatians 4, 4 to 7. But when he, or sorry, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you, sorry, trying to get rid of this feedback here. All right. Okay, to redeem those under the law. This is what Tricia was talking about. That we might receive what? Adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So that you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are a child, God has also made you an heir. See, he's saying a similar thing in a different way. Through the spirit, adopting us. But look at this. Not only is it a fact that we're God's children and we get this revelation we're his children by the Spirit, we also experience his love, the Father's love, tangibly through the Holy Spirit, affirming us as a son. Remember what he said to Jesus. This is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Right? And when this, the Holy Spirit came upon him, the same thing happens to us. God's showing us by his Spirit we're his sons, and then he's also revealing his love in us. So Romans 5.5, 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame because what? God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Okay, so not only are we adopted as God's children through the Spirit, we also experience His love. How many of you experience the love of God? Yeah, it's by the Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Kenneth Hagin used to always say that. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Jesus is our example. It's the second thing I want to talk about. So, right, he got, we get our identity by the Spirit as children of God. Second thing is that, and remember, Jesus is our example. We were, he's also led by the Spirit. Can you go to the next slide, Trish? This is the second thing I want to show you. Look at what happens. So immediately after Jesus is baptized, you go to Luke 4, verse 1 and 2 now. Now Jesus, full of the Spirit because he was just baptized and the Holy Spirit left the Jordan and what? Was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Ugh. I definitely wouldn't want to sign up for that. But look at immediately. What does Jesus, he becomes, he is obedient and is led by the Spirit immediately after he gets baptized by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, this is exactly what we're supposed to do as Christians. We have the Spirit in us. And now, in the New Covenant, we're supposed to live our lives led by the Holy Spirit. That's how we fulfill the law. I'm going to show you that in a second. Led by the Spirit. Remember, those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. Look at this. I'm just going to give you a few verses on this. Galatians now. Galatians 5. 16. It says, so what? So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay? 
That's the key, walking by the Spirit. Think about this. How many of you would want to go to the wilderness for four days and be tempted by the devil? <laughs> None of us. Jesus was so obedient, okay, even though it makes no, like, who, he was so obedient, and contrary to, I'm sure, what his flesh wanted, he, he obeyed anyway for 40 days, fasting in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, led by the Spirit. If he, if he obeyed his flesh, right, it says if you're led by the Spirit, you'll no longer uh, gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm sure he would have turned that rock into bread, right? But no, he's led by the Spirit. He's not going to do that if he's walking by the Spirit, just like us, what we're called to do. Verse 18, but what? If you're led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. Because remember, the Spirit's the fulfillment of the new covenant. We talked about that before. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. These are all, this is the primary imperative of Paul here is walk in the Spirit. Why? Because as you walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, he says that right before this verse in verse 22, God will produce his character in you by the Spirit as you walk in the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control will be produced in you. And that's how, why you're no longer under law. Because he's producing his character in you. He's fulfilling the law. Romans 8, 14, I already mentioned this. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So you see how we're called to this too, right? We're called to this lifestyle, just like Jesus immediately was led by the Spirit when he was baptized by the Spirit. That's what we're called to do as well as Christians. Ministry by the Spirit. Jesus is our example of ministry, so he did all of his ministry by the Spirit. And I want to show you this. Okay, so notice that Jesus' ministry didn't begin until after he was anointed with the Spirit, right? There's no indication in the Gospels, at least, in the Bible anywhere, that he performed any miracles, did any works or anything, really, before he was baptized in the River Jordan and the Holy Spirit came upon him. Then he was empowered to do all these things, right? Acts 10.38 uh, that we talked about, was he anointed with the Holy Spirit to do all these good things. And we're called to do the same thing, okay? And let me show you this. Again, this is Luke, so Jesus was tempted by the devil. He overcame. That's awesome. Then look what happens. This is Luke 4.14. This is after the wilderness. Je Jesus returned to Galilee in what? The power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. And was his, as was his custom. Look at this. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. You guys will recognize this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has, what, anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, the gospel. He set me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, began and he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This was so offensive to them. Do you know what happened when Jesus said this? Because look, think about this. This is his hometown, right? In Mark's version, it said they got up to stone him. Actually, here in Luke's version, too. He escaped. Why? You're, you're kidding me. You're Jesus. Your dad is Joseph. You're the carpenter's son. You're saying you're the Messiah? Like, think about how offended, right? You played soccer with my son Johnny when you were teenagers. You're saying you're him? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm him. 
Because the spirit, and how do we know? Because the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm fulfilling these messianic prophecies in your midst. Then look what happens. And this is Matthew's version. Uh, Matthew 4, 17. Then from then on, after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he began to preach, repent for your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And if you remember from the beginning of the series, the evidence that the kingdom was here was the Holy Spirit came. That's what they were expecting, the Jewish people. Verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and what? Healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread over Syria, and people brought him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering with severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and healed them all. And I'm highlighting healing because we're called to that same ministry. I'm going to show you that in a minute. Jesus gives us this same ministry as believers, empowered by the Spirit, doing what Jesus did, spreading the kingdom just like he did, the powers of darkness. So the key to Jesus' ministry, remember we're talking about Jesus' ministry now, was that he was anointed with the Spirit and power. Not only did he delegate his authority to us, and I'm going to show you that in a minute, he also gave us that same power through the promised Holy Spirit so that we could carry on his work until he returns. The Great Commission, making disciples of all nations, commanding them to teach you everything I taught you to do, commanded you to do. And healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, all that is part of it. Remember, the defining characteristic of Jesus' ministry is he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and power. So he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, then we're, we're called to do what Jesus did. Okay, so Jesus gives us his ministry, the Spirit-empowered life. And this is what we're talking about, the, the life in the Spirit. We're going to be talking about these various things, but this is sort of the beginning message in that part. So in Matthew, I'm just going to show you one example here. When, G when he sends out his disciples, okay, and we're his disciples, hopefully we all are, okay, so th this applies to us too. Look at what he did. He said, this is verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority, just like he gives us, to drive out impure spirits and to heal every, <laughs> say every, every disease and sickness. Isn't that amazing? He gives us the authority and the power to, to heal all sicknesses, every sickness, Okay, fast forward to verse 7. Look at his instructions. Really simple. As you go, proclaim this one message. It's one sentence. Really simple. What is it? The kingdom of heaven has come near. Proclamation. Then demonstration. So all you do is you go and say the kingdom of heaven is here, and then what? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely receive, freely give. Same applies to us. In the Great Commission, everything I've commanded you, go make disciples, tell them to do the same thing. So this is all apl applicable to us today. Then look at this, verse 19. Don't worry about what to say or how to say it. I love this verse. At that time you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So you don't even have to worry about what to say when you're out evangelizing and proclaiming the gospel and whatever. Jesus says here, why? Because the Holy Spirit's in you, and he's going to speak through you. So you don't even have to be concerned about it, right? Remember, ministry by the Spirit, proclamation by the Spirit, he'll speak through us, and demonstration, healing all that stuff by the Spirit. Look at what Jesus says. Now, this, uh, I'm just giving you glimpses. We could, I could give you a whole bunch more scriptures. Read John chapters 14 through 16. This is amazing, because this is right before Jesus went to Gethsemane. And how many of you know... When someone gives you their last words before they die, they're usually pretty important. You should be listening, right? Yeah? 
This is Jesus, some of his last words to his disciples at the Last Supper before he went to be crucified. Okay? And over and over and over and over again, he talks about the Holy Spirit. So I just want to give you a couple of verses on this to show you. This is ama- it's amazing if you think about what Jesus is saying here. Okay? Look at John 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is about to die. And he's saying, it's actually better for you that I go. Like, if you were his disciples, how would you be like, what are you talking about? How can it be better that you're going away and being crucified? That makes no sense to me. Like, how many of you would rather, like, just think about it. How many of you would be like, I wish I was one of the 12 with Jesus in person. How many of you would think that? Jesus is actually saying, no, it's better. It's better for you that I go. And that's not the case. Why? Because if I don't, the Holy Spirit won't come. And why is this important? Verse 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will what? Guide you into all truth. Led by the Spirit. Think about the early church. They didn't have a Bible like we did. They had the Old Testament. The Bible, canonized Bible, didn't happen until like 300-something. How did they live? They lived pretty good, according to the records. They lived by the Spirit. Just read the book of Acts. Led by the Spirit. It's amazing. It's, it's quite simple. But they had such a relation. This is why I'm spending so much time on this. They had such a relation with the Holy Spirit. This is what we're called to do. And Jesus says, look, I can't even tell you everything now, but the Holy Spirit will. He will guide you into all truth. He'll lead you into all truth. In 1 John 3, it says, you don't even need a teacher. He'll teach you all things. The anointing. Luke, I'm just going to fast forward to verse 48. This is his great commission in Luke, okay? He's saying, I'm going to go and so forth. But look at this, verse 48. You are the witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you with the Father's promise. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Last thing he says before, because he's raised from the dead now before he goes to the Father. But stay in the city till you have what? Been clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit and power always go together. So then you go to Acts chapter 1. This is Jesus' instructions to them. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the, the Holy Spirit's the key, right? He's like, hey, guys, don't do anything until you got this Holy Spirit on you. But when you get the Holy Spirit on you, then you go and you preach the gospel to all nations. The Holy Spirit's the key. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're going to mess it up, Peter and disciples. How do I know? What happened the night but like, <laughs> A few nights before this, Jesus, Peter denied him three times. He buckled under the pressure of a servant girl, saying, hey, you're one of them, aren't you? No, no, I don't even know him. But then what happened? The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, comes on Peter. He gets up in boldness in front of everyone in Jerusalem. Says, guys, you crucified the Messiah. Repent. How can the same guy who just denied Christ, 10 days later, get up in front of all Jerusalem to the very people who killed Jesus and rebuked them royally and say, you killed the Messiah, you got to repent. What happened between the time the Holy Spirit came on them and then he got that boldness and power to do that, right? So all the Holy Spirit, this is why Jesus said, guys, wait till you get the Holy Spirit, then you do it. 
And you see that then. They waited in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, I'll just give you one verse. Verse 4, all of them were what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then they changed the world. Like I said, Peter gets up, preaches, 3,000 people saved in one day. Do you know what's interesting? Patricia talked about the law. Do you guys know what happened when Moses brought down the tablets, the old covenant law from Mount Sinai? What happened? 3,000 people died. 3,000 people died because they were worshiping the golden calf and stuff. The letter of the law, what does it say? Kills. This is Romans 7, 4 to 6. But the law of the Spirit brings life. You see this on the day of Pentecost. A new covenant gets ushered in by the Spirit. And what? 3,000 people don't die this time. 3,000 people get eternal life. Juxtaposing the difference between the old covenant law and the new covenant law of the Spirit. Anyway, the full gospel. Why am I saying all this? You guys who've been here know this by now. <laughs> Getting back to our spirit-empowered roots is why I'm saying all this. You see how important this is? Jesus lived this way and said, you live the same. Wait till you get the Holy Spirit, then you go and do the stuff I did. Heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim the good news, right? All the things that he did as Christians, little anointed ones, you're to do the same thing. Now, I could just read the entire book of Acts to you. <laughs> And you, to prove my point. So I recommend you just re read that book, okay? And you'll see, okay, it's all over the place. You don't, like, you, don't, you don't even have to be convinced if you read the book of Acts. But I do want to just give you a few scriptures that I love to show you that this is how they operated, okay? Now, so just as the baptism of the Holy Spirit would initiate Jesus' ministry on the earth, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the event that marked the birth of the church, Acts chapter 2. After this, the disciples continue Jesus' ministry, and God verified the gospel's truthfulness by a display of his power through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you look at the Great Commission in Mark 16, it says, These signs will follow those who believe. In my name you'll speak in new tongues, you'll cast out demons, you'll heal the sick, right? What's the point? Proclamation, demonstration. They go hand in hand, and that's how we're supposed to do it. That's how we're supposed to evangelize, Okay? So the disciples' spirit-empowered words, remember, don't have to worry what to say, the Holy Spirit will speak to you, through you, was regularly accompanied by spirit-empowered miracles as well. And here's a few verses hopefully you guys know by now. Romans, I love this. This is Paul summarizing his entire ministry. And look at how he defines the full gospel. Romans 15, 17 through 19. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what? By what I've said and done. Both. Proclamation, demonstration. Just like Jesus. By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have what? Fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. The full gospel includes proclamation, demonstration. Okay? So we, for the most part, have been preaching a partial message if we have not been doing the demonstration. That just like Jesus did. The kingdom of God is near, and then he healed the sick and cast out demons and all the stuff. 
1 Corinthians 2, 4-5, Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but what? With a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith wouldn't rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. So important, because you can't argue with an encounter. You just can't. And that's what Paul, Paul did it. Preach it, demonstrate it, bam, you're saved. Not this trying to go to their level of using persuasive wisdom to try and convince you that this is true. Because you can't. <laughs> anyway, look at this. This is the first mention of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Because this is the oldest book in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4-5. Look what Paul says. He's talking about their conversion. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. He says, this is how you know you're saved, guys. Not because I just came with words, but why? Because the Holy Spirit came and confirmed the message. He confirmed it with a demonstration. Getting back to our spirit-empowered roots. This is how the New Testament church operated why? Because this was what Jesus did and what he told us to do. Okay, and this is why it's so important that we get back to that so that we can actually preach a full gospel message. So, Paul is reminding us that the message of the gospel is truth accompanied by the Spirit's power. It's this difference between the early church and us that's so radical that it explains a lot about our present condition in the West. You look at us, and I don't want to be judgmental, but I'm just saying generally, just, just if you look at the book of Acts and look at, at the church now, there's typically a difference, especially in the West. Would you say not? What, what is the difference? I think this is it. This is why I'm spending a whole series, long series on the Holy Spirit, because this is it, the missing element. We need to get back to our spirit-empowered roots to be effective in this world. We need, yeah, we need to get back to our mandate to live like Jesus did and to spread the gospel, not simply with words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So what should we do in light of all this? What did Jesus do? You guys remember that? that what did Jesus do? So based on this message, what did Jesus do? Jesus lived the Spirit-empowered life. But we can get some keys. Okay, well, how do you actually do that then? That's a good question. Now, I'm just, this is just a summary of everything. You remember, everything Jesus did from his conception to his resurrection was uh, a result of the Spirit's work. Okay? Jesus gives us a clue in Luke 11. The first message in this series, way back in April 3rd, I have the link in the next slide. I, I give a whole message on this because this changed my life. If you guys heard our, my testimony last week when I got that dramatic encounter, February 2nd, 2007, five hours, the Holy Spirit, tongues, everything... Before that was a season, I got a hold of this teaching of Jesus' teaching on prayer, asking, seeking, knocking, and went for it. And then, then, then uh, the Holy Spirit came, and, and it, it changed my life forever. If you're interested, you can hear the uh, message last week. Listen to what Jesus says. So Jesus is praying. That's a key. Jesus is praying one day. This is Luke 11, 1. In a certain place, when he finished, one of this, his disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. <laughs> like John taught us, come on, this is one of the most probably important scriptures on prayer. Jesus Christ the Messiah actually answers this and teaches them how to pray. How many think that's important? So the, the, that's why, so if you want, that whole message I give on this, I go through it all. But I want to fast forward to the last verse in his teaching 
on prayer. Actually, the last two verses. Okay, so Luke 11 for the purpose of today, this application. Luke 11, 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, look at this. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Isn't that interesting? Jesus teaches how to pray. What does this tell you? <laughs> Jesus, in the context of how to pray, says, ask for the Holy Spirit. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to ask him? This is when Jesus is praying. The implication is Jesus asked for the Holy Spirit a lot, didn't he? How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's telling us to do the same. Jesus lived by the Spirit, and we're supposed to live by the Spirit. Jesus, how do you pray? Ask for more of the Holy Spirit. God will give them to you. Promised. See, when I got a hold of that and I went for it and I actually did it, it, it happened. Go figure, right? Dramatic, crazy encounter, stuff I've never even heard or thought of before. As a function of getting a hold of this and actually doing what Jesus said to do. Now, I want to say this is that it's not a one-time thing. You can get, in fact, in John 3, it says God gives the Holy Spirit without limit. There's always more. Ephesians 5.18, it says, don't be drunk on wine, which reads to the, to the body, but be filled with the Spirit. It's a continual present tense. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would he say, he's talking to Christians. Why would he say that if it was just a one-time thing and that was it? See, a lot of people think, it's just, okay, I was baptized in the Spirit once, like 50 years ago, and that's it. No, it never ends. There's always more. There's always more. You see this in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, they got baptized in the Spirit. Acts chapter 4, they pray for boldness and what? It says they were all filled with the Spirit and, and that place was shaken. The same people who were filled with the Spirit on, the, on Acts, Pentecost, were filled with the Spirit two chapters later. Why? You can be filled with the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit over and over. It's a continual thing. Why stop? There's always more. So when Jesus says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask, how many of you think it's wise to ask? Especially if we're supposed to be living a Spirit-empowered life. If we're supposed to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Right? And so my question is, what would Jesus do? This is what he told us to do. And I'm guessing this is what he did, because he was praying. And this is how it teaches how to pray, and this is what he says. So this is what I want us to do in our own lives, but even today. Pray for more of the Holy Spirit in our individual lives, in our church, that will transform the world, I guarantee. Twelve people got, <laughs> I guess there's 120, got baptized in the Spirit and turned the world upside down. Okay? So that's what, so if you're interested, this, this next slide, uh, I'll post the slides if you want, the first thing, in, but it's also online, ctfauto.com or a podcast. How do you pray for the Holy Spirit? You just ask. That's what Jesus said. You just ask. Well, what I want to do today is finish and give us the opportunity, if you'd like, to pray together for each other, for more of the Holy Spirit. And I've said this before, Paul's, Paul and others' prayers give us keys in probably how we should pray. At least gives us a clue how they prayed. Look how much Paul prayed for the Holy Spirit. He started every one of these three apostolic prayers praying for the Holy Spirit. So, I, so what I want to do, if you would like, is get in groups of two or three. If you can stay, stay. If, if, if not, it's cool. And pray for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lay hands. It says lay hands and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Pray for each other. Pray for your church. Pray for your family. Okay? 
And if you're like, I don't know what to pray, here's some, here's some uh, prayers you can pray. Ephesians 1, I have the full prayer. I just have the first verse in each one for the all intents and purposes. But if you have a Bible, you can pray the whole prayer over each other. I recommend that, the apostolic prayers. Ephesians 1, 17, look at this. I keep asking of the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better, intimacy with God. Ephesians 3, 16 to 21, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Power. Colossians 1, 9, I, we continually, remember it's a continual thing, not just once, ask to God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. Okay? So, on that note, if you'd like... Uh, to participate, stand up and find someone, whether it's someone by you or if you just feel led to go to someone. If you'd like to participate, just stand up, congregate towards each other. If you're on the prayer team, feel free to go and pray for together. If you're not comfortable with this, no pressure. But we want more of the Holy Spirit, okay? So I encourage you to do this if you'd like. Lay hands. It says you'll receive the Spirit if you lay hands. And what I'm going to do is just pray quick now and then we'll go into it. Father, we just thank you that you promised that you'll give more of the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so, Lord, we're just praying for more of the Holy Spirit that people who have dramatic encounters will leave here completely changed and transformed in your presence. Lord, we just thank you that you confirm the message of your word through signs and wonders. So we're believing for dramatic, life-changing encounters now as people pray, lay their hands, and Lord, may they never be the same. And we're believing for an amazing fruit and spirit-empowered life as a result of this in Jesus' name. So go for it, guys. We'll just put on a song uh, and then bless.